This evening, in case you hadn't already worked it out, we're going to consider blessings and cursings. Blessings and cursings. We'll consider blessings of obedience and the curses of disobedience that God laid bare before the eyes of the ancient Israelites prior to them entering and taking the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey, about 1,500 years before the Lord Jesus Christ came down from heaven into this world of sin. First of all, what I want to consider with you is that God makes his law known to everyone. Again, this should sound familiar to you if you've been following what we've looked at in our series in Paul's letter to the Romans. God makes his law known to everyone. If the Israelites had never received God's laws, then it would not have made any sense for Moses to declare the blessings of obedience and the curses of disobedience of those laws, if they hadn't received any laws. As it was, they had God's laws written down for them. They had the Ten Commandments written with the finger of God on two tables of stone. We have a record of those same laws that God gave to Israel in our Bibles in Exodus chapter 20 and in Deuteronomy chapter 5. What I want you to understand and appreciate is that God has declared the work of his laws not just to the Israelites of old on those tables of stone but to all people throughout all ages. For example, going all the way back in time to Adam, the Lord God gave commandment to Adam. Consequently, God set before Adam life and death. A blessing and a curse. The tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That he might live by the one and not perish by the other. When he commanded him saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God gave Adam a very clear commandment then. And in Noah's time, God judged the whole earth. Everyone perished in a flood. Everyone apart from Noah, whom God had declared to be righteous. And of course, Noah's wife, his three sons, their three wives. In other words, eight people were spared in that judgment of God. When you think about it, for all the people of the world to be judged by God and for Noah to be declared as righteous, what that says is that the whole world was subject to the work of God's law. Noah was righteous. He was right before God. He was declared righteous and yet everyone else was judged and uh, and um, perished in the flood as a result of disobedience to what? To God's laws. And that was about 800 years 
before Moses received God's laws at Mount Sinai. Long before the, uh, Moses received those laws on tables of stone. When you read the Bible from cover to cover, you will see that throughout history, people have been blessed by God when they have complied with his laws and they have suffered the consequences when they have sinned against him. People suffer the consequences for their actions. I say again, what that tells us is that the whole world has always been subject to God's laws. Even the laws that we have in this land, providing they are godly laws, there are consequences for disobedience of those laws. Laws that tell us not to steal, not to go around killing people, and so on. Consequences for disobedience. We can consider how things are even now in our day and age. You all have an understanding of right and wrong. We all do. Regardless of who you are or whether you are a professing Christian, a Hindu, a Buddhist monk, a raging atheist, whatever. We all have an understanding of right and wrong. You have a conscience that either accuses you or excuses you. Even very young children know that when they have done something wrong and consequently, like the rest of us, do their utmost to cover up their wrong actions. And how do we do that? We, we I'm including us in here, we do something wrong, something that we shouldn't do, say things that we shouldn't say, How do we try and cover it up? With lies. So, sin and more sin. That's what we do. You understand me because we've all been there. You all know how to point a finger at others and accuse them of wrongdoing. We're all very good at that. Like the barbarians of Malta in the first century of the church when they saw a poisonous snake attach itself to the Apostle Paul, they wrongly assumed that Paul was a murderer who was being punished. In Acts chapter 28 and verse 4, those barbarians said, no doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. Paul had been shipwrecked and he managed to get to dry land and those barbarous people, they saw that snake attach itself to the Apostle Paul and they thought, well, he's a murderer. He's done something wrong for that to happen. Those people would never have seen God's laws written down on a piece of paper, never seen them on tables of stone. They, they would. I can't imagine that God's law had ever been preached to those barbarous people in Malta in the first century. Nevertheless, they demonstrated that they understood something about murder and about justice. They got it wrong. 
They got it wrong about Paul, but at least they demonstrated that they understood something about murder. That snake affixed itself, attached itself to him because he must have murdered somebody, done something wrong. Where do they get that from? Like those people, all of us have a sense of justice. You all want justice to prevail when you perceive that other people have done something wrong. And that is because God has made us that way. A life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It sounds right to me. It really does. And we do have that sense of justice. And don't, do we not get frustrated when we sit here of people getting away scot-free from doing something terrible crime. That is because God has made us that way. With a conscience that tells us right from wrong. Just like Adam and the whole world in Noah's time and the ancient Israelites We all have the work of God's laws written in our hearts, no matter who we are. What that means for everyone is that we all have a knowledge of right and wrong, good and evil. We are all subject to God's blessings of obedience and curses of disobedience. Secondly, we can consider the mountain of blessing and the mountain of curses. We looked at that in the uh, the Old Testament passages there, I wonder if anyone remembers which is which here. There was Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. Mount Gerizim is the mountain of blessings. And Mount Ebal is the mountain of curses. Soon after Moses spoke to the ancient Israelites concerning blessings, blessings for obedience and curses, For disobedience, his successor Joshua spoke to the people in the promised land. And what happened was an altar was set up on Mount Ebal and sacrifices were made. Joshua read God's law to the Israelites. Half of the people were positioned on the slopes of Mount Ebal and the other half were on the slopes of Mount Gerizim. Likewise, as the blessings of God's law were read, the tribes on Mount Gerizim replied, Amen. Therefore, Mount Gerizim was where the blessings were pronounced, Mount Ebal was where the sacrifices were made, and where the cursings of the law were pronounced. Mount Gerizim, blessings, Mount Ebal, sacrifices, curses. Those two mountains, half of the people on one, half of the people on the other. Thirdly, Christ, the fulfilment of the curses and the blessings, both the fulfilment of the curses and the blessings. I now want to consider with you the fulfilment of the sacrifices and curses on Mount Ebal and the blessings on Mount Gerizim. The ancient Israelites failed miserably to keep God's laws. And for that matter, we've all failed miserably, every one of us. 
The fact is that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all fully deserving, not of God's blessings, but of his curses, every one of us. However, the good news is that God, who is rich in mercy, has sent his only begotten son into the world to take upon himself the curse of the law. As it is written in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. What happened was that about 1,500 years after Moses had pronounced the curses and the blessings of God's law to the Israelites, the Son of God came down from heaven into this dark world of sin and he took upon himself the form of a man. As a man, he subjected himself to the law. He was made of a woman, born of a woman, born under the law, this, the, 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 the God, the creator God. He came into this world as a, as a little baby and he was in subjection to the law. The law that he was the author of. He lived in perfect obedience to God's laws. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ was obedient to those laws, even unto the death of the cross. Perfect obedience. Consequently, when Jesus was crucified, he took upon himself the curse of all whom he came to save, and he purchased their freedom from the law's condemnation and from the power of sin with his own precious blood. Therefore, in his life of perfect obedience, the Lord Jesus Christ satisfied the law's demands for blessings. For all who trust in him, as well as satisfying its demands for curses on their behalf. As it has been said by the 18th century theologian John Colquhoun, the perfect obedience of Christ is as necessary to entitle believers to eternal life as his suffering of death is to secure them from eternal death. His satisfaction for sin, applied by faith, renders them innocent or or guiltless of death and his obedience makes them righteous or worthy of life. As a nation, the people of Israel sought to establish their own righteousness before God through obedience to God's laws, which they had failed to keep And what did they do? With their failure to keep God's laws, they heaped upon themselves the curses of God's law. Curses for disobedience to God's laws. Consequently, God appointed other nations to conquer Israel and take them into captivity. Eventually, they returned to the promised land. But under the rule of foreign emperors, things would never be the same again. For the Jews. Finally, when the Son of God came into the world to fulfill the law's demands, the Jews committed their greatest sin of all, 
They rejected him and they crucified him. Before his death on the cross, Jesus said to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Those words were fulfilled about 40 years later when the Roman occupation destroyed Jerusalem. Concerning which C.H. Spurgeon made the following comment. The destruction of Jerusalem was more terrible than anything that the world has ever witnessed either before or since. Even Titus seemed to see in his cruel work the hand of an avenging God. Finally, what about you? Do you reject the Lord Jesus Christ or can you see that he has fulfilled the law's demands for all who trust in him with respect to blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience? He did this in a life of sinless obedience to God culminating in his death on the cross for the sins of all who trust in him. There are various spiritual blessings to be received right now as a Christian through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, such as the forgiveness of sins, peace with God, (coughs) adoption as a child of God, so that you can legitimately refer to God as your father culminating in you entering not into the promised land of Canaan, but into heaven itself and into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ when you die. How wonderful that is, eh? In this world of so much uncertainty. Well, there is one thing that's certain. We will all die unless Jesus comes first. How wonderful it is to know that when you do die, you will enter into the presence of your great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. The one who saved you by his grace. By the grace of God, may each one of you save from deep within a believing heart. Death and the curse were in my cup. O Christ, was full for thee. But thou hast drained that last dark drop. Tis empty now for me. That bitter cup, Love drank it up, now blessings draft from me. Amen.